Good afternoon. Welcome to the online presentation of How to Destroy Higher Education, featuring President Michael Roth, Class of 78. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us for what will be an informative and interactive hour. My name is Marina Melendez, Class of 1983, and Dean for the Class of 2018 at Wesleyan. As you may know, Michael recently wrote a book, Beyond the University, Why Liberal Education Matters, and has been speaking across the country about the value of liberal education and current attacks on its premises and worth. But before I introduce our speaker, I would like to mention a few housekeeping items. Our program today will be an open Q&A. I will ask a question to get us started and hope you will submit additional questions throughout the program. Please use the questions box on the right-hand side of the GoToWebinar screen to send me questions as they arise. A great deal of hard work and preparation went into making this event a reality, so please bear with us if we run into any unforeseen technological-related snafus along the way. Now, I'm delighted to introduce our speaker. Michael S. Roth, class of 78, became the, the 16th president of Wesleyan University in 2007 after having served as Hartleeper Alexander Professor of Humanities at Scripps College, Associate Director of the Getty Research Institute, and President of the California College of the Arts. At Wesleyan, he has increased grant support for students who receive financial aid and has overseen the launch of the All-Britain Center for the Study of Public Life, the Shapiro Creative Writing Center, and four new interdisciplinary colleges emphasizing advanced research and cohort building, the College of the Environment, the College of Film and the Moving Image, the College of East Asian, Asian Studies, and the College of Integrative Sciences. Under his leadership, Wesleyan is nearing completion of a $400 million fundraising campaign. Roth also regularly publishes essays, book reviews, and commentaries in national magazines, newspapers, scholarly journals, and the Huffington Post. He continues to teach undergraduate courses and through Coursera has offered MOOCs, the most recent being How to Change the World. So, President Roth. Hello, Marina. <laughs> Your first question for today. Questioning of the liberal education model seems to be a fixture in the media these days. Can you tell us about the impetus behind your writing this book? Sure. Uh, first, I want to thank everybody for coming. It's a very odd thing to do this uh, looking at a computer screen, and uh, I hope it doesn't feel too odd to you wherever you're watching this, and uh, that we get to your questions. Uh, I, I'm delighted that uh, so many of you expressed interest in being part of this conversation. And um, I started thinking about this book, I guess, about five years ago, when these uh, criticisms of liberal education began to surface, and when uh, Silicon Valley folks who were highly educated and often had a, a liberal education began to talk about, oh, you don't need to go to college, you just need to learn X. You just need to release your inner entrepreneur. You just need to do Y or Z. And by doing one small thing, well, pretty well, that you would bypass all of the um, uh, well-rounded mumbo-jumbo, as they saw it, of a college education. And that was tied, I think, pretty clearly to uh, real doubts about uh, the higher, higher uh, education costs and how uh, the price of higher education kept go uh, going through the roof. And that created a kind of uh, uh, convergence of a criticism that colleges and universities were not being practical enough or instrumental enough, and they were not serving students 
so as to prepare them for the world. And instead, the argument went that we should really train people in what uh, industry or uh, 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 what uh, a specific sector of the economy needs right now. I saw that then, and I still see it now, as an, a plea for conformity, a plea for uh, getting students who won't ask questions, who won't be too literate, who can be easily told what to do, and put this, slot them into jobs that we have right now, and then um, uh, wor worry about that. what happens to them later when those jobs change, that's, that's another problem. And so uh, I began to uh, go back and look at um, earlier critiques of American higher education, ones that got going um, just uh, before the Second World War, ones that got going after the Civil War, and even I went back to the beginning of uh, the Republic and how uh, education was such a, 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 an important issue for the founding fathers. And it was interesting for me because I had the virtue of ignorance. I'm not an American historian. In fact, I don't think I ever had a class in American history. And so uh, I, I, I turned to this really like an amateur. Uh, and as I uh, began to do the research, I found that there was an enormous reservoir of very thoughtful, profound sometimes thinkers who spoke to the need for a well-rounded education, an education that emphasized concept and context, but also that emphasized preparation for the world. So I found myself as a European historian thinking, gosh, this is, this is very different from the European tradition of liberal arts, where you say you need to take uh, Latin, you need to take Greek, you learn to take history, you need to take religion. The American version was you need a broad contextual and co conceptual education because that will empower you after you graduate. And so I was just struck, I'll just give a, 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 quick, a quick anecdote or two, uh, that, that for, for Thomas Jefferson, what was so key about education was that it would allow people who would be normally made subservient because of, uh, of their poverty to change the course of their lives through uh, 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 learning things that would allow them to rise on the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, I was struck by his insight that privilege is defended through ignorance, and education is our best weapon against privilege. What Jefferson wanted was to replace privilege with merit. And so uh, that, that to me was exciting and interesting. What was more exciting were the people who he denied the ability to be educated, uh, Africans and African Americans. They took up this notion in, in, the, in their struggle for freedom in the middle of the 1800s, they took up this notion that education was the most important vehicle for freedom. So Frederick Douglass tells the story that when he uh, was a, a slave boy and his uh, mistress was showing him off and said to her husband, look, I taught that kid to read, probably didn't use the word kid, um, and the, he, he was outraged, the master, because he said reading will make him unfit for slavery. Reading will make him unfit for slavery. And for Douglass this was like, the, the, the clarion call, education sets you free. And so I began you know, really getting passionate about this subject because I thought that's what's at stake here. Education will set you free and people who are denying others the right to or access to a high quality broad education, what they're afraid of is freedom. What they want is conformity and what they're afraid of is freedom. Thank you. Um, in that vein, what can Wesleyan do as a, to be a leader in liberal arts education at a time when technology plays so large a role in our lives? Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, Wesleyan, uh, in Victor Butterfield's day, was seen as a pioneer in liberal uh, education because of the embrace of uh, interdisciplinarity, because of the ways in which uh, the university highlighted scientific research within a liberal arts college framework, that we wanted to produce new knowledge in chemistry 
and in biology and not just produce a nice campus for young men to learn it, that it was about creating knowledge and, and not just being a finishing school. You know, for Butterfield, as he was a pragmatist, um, the, 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 the uh, education should empower. Education should empower. And he used the tools of the time to re-examine the Western curriculum to make it more uh, empowering. And I remember going to meetings when I first started, uh, like national foundations, um, and you know, Wesleyan's a small place, there are lots of fancy schools there, Ivy League schools and other universities, and they would look at me with kind of, um, at, you know, a little jealousy to say, oh, Wesleyan is, it's, you guys have always been pioneers. You guys have always been pioneers. So today, you can't be at the forefront of educational experimentation without embracing technology. That doesn't mean that there will be technological solutions to all educational questions, but that it does mean that you can't proceed as an educational institution if you're afraid of technological change. So a few years ago, we signed a, um, a partnership agreement with Coursera, um, a company that offers massive open online courses, and we were the first liberal arts college to, to do so. A lot of my friends in, in the sector thought, you know, we were, we were, uh, we were made a deal with the devil. Um, by now, we've had more than a million students sign up for Wesleyan classes. A million students over just a couple of years um, and uh, from over a hundred different countries around the world. Now, that's not exactly changed all the things we do on campus, far from it. But I think in the end, our experience of using that technology uh, in an international context will inform the way we work uh, on campus. And we will eventually be giving classes, I am sure, at Wesleyan that are offered simultaneously, seminars offered simultaneously in uh, Nairobi or Budapest or, or Singapore through telepresence technology. Uh, Wesleyan should remain, in my view, uh, a pretty small uh, uh, liberal arts oriented, liberal education oriented place, but we should be open to the entire world. Technology gives us a great vehicle for making that opening to the entire world productive. In that vein, I have a question from Christina. How can you explain or justify the exponential growth of tuition slash board slash fees to prospective students, how can the value proposition be sold to students who will come out with tens of thousands of, of dollars in debt? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question. And so for us, we, we changed our ways in recent years. Uh, as you alluded to in, in uh, your opening remarks, Marina, uh, Wesleyan uh, reduced uh, debt as uh, part of our aid packages pretty dramatically. In, my first and second years, uh, we, uh, we eliminated required, required loans for the neediest students, and we've just expanded what it means to, to be the, among the neediest students. Uh, and that group has no loans at all as part of their financial aid package. And no one is asked to borrow more uh, than about $19,000 uh, over four years. So we try to manage um, uh, debt for students. Uh, we've also, over the last three years or so, kept our tuition increases uh, in line with CPI, so that our tuition has gone up uh, very little over the last few years. Uh, be that as it may, over the last 20 years or so, tuition at all these very uh, expensive, uh, fancy places has gone up so much, and uh, and and it's and it's a it's it's a interesting question as to why that happens. I think the simplest answer that I've encountered that I seem to me rational is one made by the, uh, given by the president of Vassar, Catherine Hill, in an article in an economics journal. And it goes something like this. The uh, wealthiest uh, uh, people in America are really wealthy these days, and they are willing to spend whatever it takes, as they often say, to say they're giving their students the very best education. And um, in fact, the only indication they have of getting a good education is that it is expensive. 
because there are no output measures in any of the exclusive colleges and universities. So when you have a group of people who really say, charge me whatever you want because I will pay whatever it takes, that demand will push prices up. And then other schools imitate that. Now, when schools do that and then use the extra money to create more financial aid, maybe that's okay. I mean, so well, the wealthiest people are paying full uh, sticker price and there's more money for financial aid. But of course what happens instead is that people want amenities, they want fancy things, they want basically the college or university to resemble a spa where they get the very best treatment and where the president is the head concierge. Uh, and, and that's really an awful thing. It undermines education. It creates a culture of entitlement. Um, and uh, we, we at Westin over these last few years have done an experiment uh, where we have held spending per student uh, relatively flat and we um, have kept the administration very lean and have controlled the increase in cost as a result. Whether anybody else will follow us in this regard it's still an open question. Well, let me ask you another question from JD. Um, what, sort of in, in this vein, what's the future of small, less selective, less well-endowed liberal arts schools? Is Sweet Briar the canary in the coal mine for them? That's a, that's a, that's a tough question. I, I, I think that uh, the closing Sweet Briar is uh, you know a very sad and scary thing for um, lots of schools around the country who have a great deal of trouble meeting their enrollment uh, uh, goals. It, I should say that the uh, although co the colleges and universities are uh, expensive, uh, the the premium you get from a college degree today is greater than it ever was even taking out all the money you put into the uh, tuition room and board, even how much it costs, the money, extra money you'll make because you have a degree is greater than it's ever been. And so I think the, the economic argument is still there. That what I think schools have to be able to do is to show that the education they offer is relevant to the world today. Um, and I do think a liberal education uh, should embrace that challenge. We want to show, yes, our education is relevant to the world today. We're not training people to be only like mini professors. We are educating people to be thoughtful, to be aware, to be critical, and to be appreciative, among other things. And to do so in a way that translates into a whole range of activities beyond the university. I called this book Beyond the University because I don't think it matters that much that people like have a great time while they're at school. I mean, you know, what's not to like, as my mother said. You know, you're 20 years old with a lot of other 20-year-old people and you're having fun. That's great. But what really matters is what you can do with your education beyond the university after you graduate. And we at Westland are taking very seriously uh, the imperative to show that whether you're a biology major or a religion major, working in ethnomusicology or economics, that you are equipped to take what you've learned in your classes and, and translate that into other domains. And I think we'll, uh, the Wesleyan world will see over the next few years a series of initiatives that will aim to highlight how no matter what your major is, you are more capable of doing different and meaningful things after graduation because of your experience at Wesleyan. Wesleyan students seem to have a history of going out and changing the world after graduation. Is that part of the reason why? Uh, yes, I think that part of the reason why is that we at Wesleyan are very fortunate to attract the kinds of students who uh, want to make a positive difference uh, after they graduate. And some of them will do so in the business world, some of them will do it in profession, some in politics, some in the not-for-profit sector, um, it, it, it's, I think, less our curriculum that does that, although there are now things in our curriculum that are geared in that direction. But the fact is that we've always we've had this reputation for 
at least uh, 50 years. And so we attract students who already have that desire and who already, they don't want to fit into the existing mold necessarily. They don't want to just conform to what other people expect. Um, they, they can do that because they perform well on all these tests that they need to do well on to get in, but that's not the core of who they are. And so I think that um, uh, we are fortunate, I mean as a teacher I feel fortunate to work in a place where students are questioning, that they're, that they're interested in challenging what they've been told. One of the things we've tried to do since I came back as president is to find places in the curriculum to enhance that, uh, or, uh, that student's desire with real skills to be a better neighbor, to be a better uh, street politician, to be, a, to, be, to be a better entrepreneur. So the Albritton Center for the Study of Public Life, to take a, a, a really a big example, is geared to say, to, to build on the Wesleyan tradition of, of protest and of ener political energy and say, how can we give our students the skills to take that political energy and use it uh, in ways that really do make a difference and don't just make noise? Um, I have a question here about if we can keep uh, stay, stay in the vein of what's going on at Wesleyan. I have a question here from Thomas, who mm -hmm. says, um, how do you communicate your passion message to our sons and daughters entering West as a first year? developmentally they're still unfolding in such different ways? That's a great question. I always have um, at least a hundred first-year students in my classes in the, uh, each year. I get I two, I two big classes uh, every year, one in film and philosophy, one in uh, kind of a great books course called the modern and the postmodern. And there's a lot of, it's not only for first-year students, but I always have you know, the, between the two courses, around at least 100 first-year students out of the 700. Uh, and I uh, tr try just, uh, not, not as the president, but as a teacher, to share my own uh, uh, passion, my own engagement with this material that I, that I really love so much. Uh, there aren't that many occasions for talking to the students as a whole, as a whole group, and, um, and, you know, Wesleyan students, you know, that, talking to the president is often not the first thing on their list of priorities. Uh, uh, th that said, however, this year, some students from the WSA, Wesleyan Student Assembly, came to see me and said, uh, would you be willing, Roth, to do a convocation, like so early in the fall, the state of the university, and talk to the whole student body and staff and faculty if they want to come, uh, whoever, whoever wants to come about the state university and take questions. And I'm delighted to do that. Uh, I love talking, as you probably can tell. Uh, and, and, and I love to hear from students and hear their questions. I have office hours every week and I get you know, a, a disparate range of, of, of uh, questions and inputs. But I try to find opportunities to meet with students uh, in affinity groups and political groups and sports teams and theater groups. Um, partly to tell them what I'm thinking, but mostly it's also to hear how they're doing. Thank you. Um, Gary has a question for you. Um, okay. Wesleyan has always been a bastion of extreme liberalism. What negative or positive effects do you believe this has on the cause for liberal education that you're espousing? Well, I don't think it's true that Wesleyan has always been a bastion of extreme liberalism. Uh, um, but recently, it, uh, it's, it certainly has been uh, associated with the left. Um, and, but so is Bowdoin, so is Harvard, so is even Yale. For God's sake! Um, I mean that you know when you're you know, the, old, the old the old saw that if if you're not a socialist at 22, you have no heart. If you're still a socialist at 30, 32, you have no brains. Uh, I mean, part of it is that, you know, college students tend to be a heck of a lot more liberal um, than uh, almost any other group of people uh, out there, uh, excluding people who live in the Bay Area. I hope some of you are on the, uh, uh, the webinar. Uh, so I think that uh, uh, it's, it's, I, mean, I don't want to exaggerate that, but I think behind the question there's a real, there's a really good concern, um, uh, or maybe two really important concerns. The first is 
political homogeneity breeds intellectual another kind of intellectual conformity, right? If everybody has the same view, I mean, when I was here, if somebody called you a liberal, you'd be insulted because that was too conservative. You had to be you were a Leninist or a, or a Trotskyite, but not a liberal. Um, so that you know you were in this kind of echo chamber of agreement about some core political principles. You never heard about other ones, and that's counter-educational. So uh, over the last few years, with the, uh, the help of uh, uh, a friend of mine on the board, Tucker Anderson, and with um, uh, students especially support, uh, we have um, helped grow alternative points of view, people giving talks from other perspectives than, the, that, than the, you would expect from uh, this notion of extreme liberalism. So uh, Philip Howard was here recently as, as part of that program. And uh, there is now a thriving, uh, small, I think, but thriving young Republican organization on campus about which uh, you can read in the Wesleyan News. Uh, and I think that uh, that's much more healthy than having everybody more or less with the same uh, political views. The, the second question, thing behind that question that's important is the uh, fear of political correctness. That you know you that you if you think you have to say the right thing, uh, that's not necessarily liberal. I could be you know any that could be anything, but you that you're expected to say the right thing. That's really stultifying, because inquiry means you could you could say something stupid and then find out oh yeah it's okay and it's no it's you know you're not going to be punished, you're not going to be shamed. Uh, you can try out ideas, you can experiment, um, and I think the notion that uh, you can't say things because you might offend someone or trigger someone. It can be really stultifying. I don't think it's particularly strong at Wesleyan, but it is part of the culture of colleges and universities today that we have to fight because political correctness of that kind gets in the way of free speech, and there's no education worth its salt without free speech. Agreed. Agreed. Um, here's a comment from, uh, and a question from Sanjoy. The argument about wealth, the wealthy subsidizing the needy only goes so far. The folks in the middle get completely squeezed, no financial aid, but could end up spending 70% or more of their post-tax income on college tuition. So are we creating a system that only caters to the wealthy or needy? No place for those in the middle? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important question. That. Uh, we have, in fact, done that in many schools that you see this uh, barbell effect where you're paying full fare and you don't care because you're so wealthy and, or you're getting a full scholarship. And if you're you know, in the middle, now, of course, in America, a lot of people in the top 10% of the income bracket think they're in the middle. Um, and it's interesting, the, you know, the question says that you spend up to 70% of your income on college. Um, you know, it used, it used to be you actually expected to save for college, not just to use your annual income. So I, I've seen a lot of cases of people who think they're in the middle class uh, uh, living in very wealthy neighborhoods with extraordinary toys at their disposal and have no money to pay for college. It's hard to shed a tear for those folks because um, I don't know what they expected to happen. Um, uh, I, I, you know, and, and there are other people, however, who've saved you know, all their lives to send their kids to college. And when, by the time they're ready to do so, the price is so high that you feel you've got three kids and which one of them is going to get the education. And it's costly, especially today, when even public institutions have become uh, much more expensive uh, uh, for, for students. So one of the things we've done to try to address this issue is to raise money for scholarships for middle class students. So that um, uh, if you're the, uh, the son or daughter of, of two school teachers or, uh, 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 you know, that people who are by no stretch of the imagination wealthy uh, but um, have earning a good living, it's still really hard to afford a place like Wesleyan. Um, uh, so we've created scholarships that we are now endowing for people who will need another $10,000 a year or $15,000 a year. Um, to make it possible for their uh, sons and daughters to come here. The other thing we've done that I think is even more dramatic is we've created a three-year program. So that if you want to save 20% off the total 
uh, tuition uh, and room and board, uh, it's pretty easy to do so. You spend a summer uh, or a winter and a winter term, let's say, here. You have, if you have some AP credits, as many of our students do, uh, it's not that uh, that challenging to um, actually finish in six semesters, and you save a heck of a lot of money. What's interesting is that although since we've introduced this program publicly, we have more people doing it, um, not that many people are doing it, and that's because they really love being here, which is which is wonderful. But um, it, you know, we do give the option of getting it, getting the education part. Um, in a much more economical way. I don't think that um, uh, the labor-intensive uh, um, uh, small college experience can be had very cheaply. Uh, we can, you, can re you can compress it as we've done. You can use MOOCs, for example, to do all the intro courses. You can, and we'll, we are experimenting with all these things. Um, but it is a, a, a labor-intensive uh, enterprise with um, highly skilled uh, practitioners, and uh, that that is 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 is, is going to remain uh, um, something you just you, you have to invest in uh, for for it to work well. So so the the, the the short answer, which I should probably should have given first, is one: we are creating scholarships for middle-class students, and two: the the three-year program really does offer people an opportunity to save significant amount of money uh, on their college uh, tuition room and board. Thank you, President Ross. Um, in this techno technology-focused economy, do we need to change how we reach students, how we teach them, the spaces in which we teach them? That's an, another excellent question. We are actually right now studying that. We've engaged with a uh, architectural uh, planning and consulting firm uh, to work with us on the campus of the future, uh, because it's clear that uh, the, uh, the the classrooms that we created 15 years ago are not are no longer as useful as we want them to be. So, for example, we you 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 need many more flexible spaces where people can reconfigure their the, uh, all the chairs and desks. Uh, you, you need places where students can work in teams. You need places where students can work all night. You need places where faculty and students interact in different kinds of ways. Uh, and, and technology has to be everywhere in these places. So students have access to 3D printers, so they have access to other mechanisms for prototyping. Um, and faculty have access to these things as well. So uh, I, I think that the resident, a residential campus is going to remain very um, uh, charismatic, very attractive to people in the future, but it's a residential campus that has to create spaces where students can work informally as well as in class, where they can work um, on their own and with their friends as well as with faculty members. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the students at Wesleyan uh, today really value places where they can work but not on official workspaces. So um, uh, many of you on the uh, webinar will remember the lobby of the Exley Science uh, Tower, the Science Center. Um, it was a space where like, you, you just kind of ran through. It was very unpleasant. Um, and, uh, and, you know, nobody, we never could figure out what to do with it. Well, thanks to uh, Brandy Hood, a, a interior designer that works here, and Joshua Boger, the chair of our board and a wonderful photographer, we completely redone these spaces with Joshua's under, uh, uh, undersea, underwater photography and various kinds of furniture and, and small spaces. Um, we thought it would make it more attractive, more hospitable. Most importantly, what it's done is it's, it's been adopted by Wesleyan students as places where they work. It's almost like they create their own classrooms. And so what we have to do as we plan the campus of tomorrow is to have spaces that can be, if you will, taken over by students in the service of projects they're working on. That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. It actually is a wonderful space to walk through now. Do, Eugene has some, a comment for you and a question. 
you've been an outspoken advocate for Westland, but also for change. At the same time, oh sorry, at the same time you seem to have been a generally unifying university president. Many other educational leaders dedicated to necessary change seem to find their institutions unwieldy and intractable. Uh, What's yes, your please. secret? Well, I'm in Westland. I'm not at those other schools. Uh, uh, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's funny. I, was, I, I just did a piece for the American Academy about uh, the uh, fate of the humanities. Everybody's bemoaning the fate of the humanities. And I'm, I'm like a little Miss Sunshine. I say, oh, everything's fine. The humanities are good. And, uh, and I, I, uh, I was joking in this piece I wrote saying, I guess college presidents, we always say everything's fine, you know. Um, that, that's just the way we're, it's, we're kind of trained to do that when we're doing fundraising. Uh, and, uh, I, but when pre college presidents are alone or you know, talking to the board, they often complain, I can't get anything done, I can't get anything done. Uh, places don't want to change. Uh, I think you can get a lot done uh, and, and then deal with, the, uh, and deal with the ramifications of what you've started. Uh, in other words, we can create experiments, we being the administration uh, um, and members of the faculty, students, we can run experiments and see how they go. And if they're very successful, you know, this is a, this is a really smart faculty and a really smart board. If they see it's working, they'll embrace it. So I think you have to have the courage to try. And, and sometimes that means, you know, you screw up. Uh, and I've had my share. Um, and, but, but I think that but you, you have to be willing to, to try new things and to build on what you learn from those attempts. Uh, and I, I have to say that uh, Wesleyan uh, has been very open to initiatives that uh, I've suggested, uh, at least uh, they become more open to it. I think when I started, people on the faculty especially were a little surprised because uh, there hadn't been a tradition of, uh, I guess, of an activist president before, uh, and uh, especially in the academic side. But you know, I'm a teacher before anything else, and so I really thought my job is to, is to facilitate the work of other teachers and scholars to support their work, and when I see opportunities to create new, op new fields or new colleges or uh, new uh, funding streams for, to, for our core mission that I should seize those things. So, you know, uh, the four new interdisciplinary colleges that we've created, um, and the College of the Environment is, you know, now has a great endowment. I, I, I'm sure the others will have endowments too. The Center for the Humanities now has a $6 million endowment. A few years ago it had a zero uh, uh, endowment. I, I see my work also as creating a foundation for things that other people have already shown are worth doing, creating an economic foundation for them. And um, that's only possible because Wesleyan alumni and parents have been so generous uh, and, and have supported our fundraising campaign. So I, I feel very lucky. I mean, I, I, do, I did spend some summers writing the book. Um, I had, I think, two pieces Sunday in the Washington Post and a whole bunch of magazines in the last month about liberal education. I think the school is uh, uh, comfortable with, sometimes even proud, that the president is out there defending the values of liberal education, um, while many other presidents are um, on their campuses hoping it will blow over. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, once the $400,000 campaign is finished, what 400 are million. Uh, $400 million. Um, what are, what, what's next? For Westland, what are your visions for Westland? Well, I, I, I don't want to. You know, we're not we're not quite there yet at 400, so I don't want to um, uh, uh, let, let too much too, the cat too far out of the bag. But uh, we have some really exciting ideas uh, that we'll be talking about in the fall um, that will I think show how a Westland education can be rooted in liberal education and, uh, and really an exemplar of what liberal education can be and also be extraordinarily pragmatic and empowering. 
and so one of the things we've been talking about, I'll give one example, uh, one of the things we've been talking about on campus already is the, the fact that we now know that in most fields, uh, the, uh, having a projects in a class uh, through which you translate what you're learning about philosophy or economics or, or history into some other form, having those projects is really educational. It makes the material stickier, they say. You know, so you just re you remember more. If I just give you a test, you remember it on Friday, then on Monday it's, it's gone, right? So projects are a way that you can solidify learning and also you create a, each student will have a portfolio. So this is the project I worked on as a, as a first year student. Here's the project I did as a sophomore. You can see the growth. Um, and I expect over the next few years that the entire curriculum will be infused with project-based learning. So that every Wesleyan student, whether she's majoring in classics or uh, biophysics, um, will be able to, to show herself, her advisor, and future employers, here's what I'm capable of. And here's my trajectory. That last part is really important, right? It's not just, I did one thing, it's really cool. And you hope you didn't do that freshman year because, you know, otherwise we want to see you getting better over time. And so, so the, the, uh, uh, as we, the campaign winds down, we will be having a whole range of initiatives that emphasize um, curricular change so as to demonstrate how it is that whatever your major is, Wesleyan, that's empowering to you for your work after you leave, beyond the university. I, I, I think, you know, I'm glad Wesleyan students are happy here. I'm glad they love being here. That's, a, that's wonderful. But what's really important is that they leave with more capacity, right, more power. And, and I want to be able to demonstrate that. And over the next few years, we'll, we'll show how we can do it. Well, as we all know, uh, this is uh, West Fest week. Uh, a lot of perspectives here. Ruth has a question for you. What would you say to a newly admitted high school senior trying to decide whether to attend West to convince him or her to become a member of the class of 2019? Hmm. That's, a, that's a very good question. I, I could say uh, that this, uh, uh, this piece in the Washington Post Sunday was how to choose a college. And uh, so uh, there's a, it's not how to choose Wesleyan, that's on the Wesleyan uh, website, but um, why to choose Wesleyan but on my blog. But there's Valerie Strauss's blog, she let me take it over for a day, and I try to write for parents and students, how do you choose the right college? And um, I should say, I don't try to sell Wesleyan. I don't think Wesleyan is for everybody. There are some people who really want to find, like, it's a place with a social life that's, you know, more homogeneous, or they're, they're interested in um, uh, fewer things, or they're, they're interested in only one or two things, and they're going to stick to that while they're in school. They should go elsewhere. I really think uh, if they wind up coming here, they're taking a place that someone else would use in a better way. I think the students who, who choose Wesleyan uh, are people who are um, excited about being in a community where there's a vibrant music scene, whether they're musicians or not. They're excited about being in a, a place where the football team is on an upward trajectory, whether they're, whether they're athletes or not. They're d delighted to be in a place where there are protests against the president uh, every once in a while, where they can exercise their rights for pre free speech. They, they love being in a place, when even though they're, they're pre-med, but their best buddy is in theater, and they can go see uh, an avant-garde theater uh, uh, performance in the basement of the, in the CFA, or a, a musical uh, 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 being performed um, in a co-ed fraternity, as is happening this spring, um, as SIU becomes a, a co-educational Greek society, Someone just from the house just told me they're sponsoring the musical Cabaret. And so I just think this is such a goofy, wonderful, eclectic uh, community that if it strikes you that way, it's probably the right place. If it strikes you as too um, disparate, heterogeneous, too uncertain, then Williams is probably a better place. 
<laughs> you had to get it in, didn't you? <laughs> I had to get it in. It was getting late. I had to get in William's remarks. <laughs> we have a few more minutes, but um, I wanted to ask you something that's more personal to me. And you've talked okay. about it here at Wesleyan that perhaps alum and parents haven't heard. Um, and that's um, not just the role of faculty and students, but the role of staff. You've talked about staff being educators. Could you speak a little bit more about that in the frame of liberal arts and beyond? Yes, that's a great question. At Wesleyan, we are uh, really fortunate to have a dedicated staff, uh, all of whom are part of our educational project. Now, I talked to the staff this year, uh, and I intend to follow up on this over the next several years, um, about how whatever you do here at Wesleyan, uh, you're an educator. You're part of the educational project of the school. Your job may be, let's say, in psychological services, and you're you're helping students who are, are suffering uh, uh, and 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 need some therapeutic intervention. Your job might be uh, groundskeeping. Your job might be in the student accounts or financial aid uh, or in the uh, in the shop in the basement of the science center. Whatever you're doing at Weston. What you're doing is to support an educational process, an educational project that gives our students access to the very best tools for learning. And I'm very conscious that you know you can't do anything in the classroom, you can't do anything in the theater, you can't do anything in the in the cinema without the staff that makes it possible. And what they're make, what, what what they're doing is making education possible. And that's what educators do. So I think of my friend Leah, uh, who manages the uh, Film Studies Center. Um, you know, there's not a thing that goes on in that building that, that she doesn't know about. And whenever there's a, an issue where you need help with X, Y, and Z, um, you know, she's uh, she's going to make sure it happens. And um, uh, and there's so many people across this university, you know, from one end to the other, who have that dedication. Um, uh, because they believe that the students' experience um, uh, should be at the heart of their work, and they're supporting uh, an educational experience with their own individual labors. Okay, I have one more question um, from JD, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Okay. You describe one type of student who need not apply to Wesleyan. Does that standard now also apply to young men desiring a, tradi a traditional fraternity experience? Well, if it, they desire a traditional residential fraternity experience, yeah, uh, then we, we, don't, we won't be offering that. We won't have any single, um, uh, we won't have all male residential fraternities uh, anymore. So um, just like, uh, Almost all the federal liberal arts colleges I know um, uh, that will be that will be the case at Wesleyan. I am um, very pleased to see that um, uh, SIU, like Alpha Delta and Eclectic before it, um, has found a way to maintain the important things that uh, traditional fraternities offer, um, and and not think you have to offer them only by excluding one group. You know, fraternities used to exclude uh, African Americans. They used to exclude Catholics. They used to exclude, exclude Jews. I mean, it's based on exclusion, right? I mean, that's the whole idea um, uh, of the pledge uh, cycle. Um, and that's fine as long as everybody has a place to go, I suppose. Uh, but at Wesleyan, we've decided that um, we can hold on for those people who want the benefits of living in an autonomous, uh, community-based environment, that we can have that. But we don't have to ha um, exclude women from it. Um, and uh, I know some of you think, well, you could have sororities. You have some people who go, men and women go to different places. That's not what coeducation is about. That's not what the university's future is going to be about. Instead, it'll be a place where community can happen without excluding people on the basis of their identity. That seems to be perfectly in keeping with uh, our values. Uh, uh, you know, when I was at Alpha Delta in the 70s, I guess it was only recently co-ed, although I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, it just it was already pretty uh, uh, equal men and women. Um, and we certainly valued our community, 
And if you'd like, this was a traditional Greek experience, um, but we didn't have to exclude a big group of people in order to have that experience. And I'm confident uh, that uh, the Greek organizations that watch it will discover the same thing. Thank you. Um, I'd like to um, thank, um, before we close, I'd like to give you the last few words. But before I do that, President Roth, I'd like to thank uh, those behind the scenes who organized this, um, the staff from uh, University Relations and the staff from the Informational Technology Services. Without them, we could not have done this. I'd also like to thank all those who um, registered for the webinar um, and the questions folks have uh, sent to us so we could continue this conversation um, this afternoon. Um, and I hope this will not be the end, that there will be many more opportunities to speak with you and to speak with others about liberal arts, Wesleyan, and what is beyond. So um, thank you so much, President Roth, and I'd like you to have the closing remarks, please. Well, I echo your thanks. Um, thanks for the good questions, and, and, and uh, thanks for your ongoing support of, of uh, the university. Those of you who haven't been back to campus recently, I hope you can get here. Um, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, you won't be surprised to hear me say that. Uh, it's a vibrant place. Uh, it, it's uh, an atmosphere that's as intellectually engaging as ever. Uh, it's full of students who are uh, going beyond what they thought they could do um, and finding new uh, ways of, of using their talents and energies uh, to not only expand their intellectual horizons, but to be able to uh, um, uh, find modes of work that are meaningful to them and of consequence uh, in the world. It, it, it's, it's a great uh, honor for me uh, to be sitting in the president's office uh, at Westland. I love this place dearly, and I will do my best to keep it on the right track. Thanks so much for participating. Thank you. Happy spring, everyone. Happy spring.